Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 781 and our first day in the book of Job. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, we think. Uh, it could be that it even predates the books of Moses in terms of its writing, possibly. It may have come to us through Moses. We don't know for sure. There's a lot we don't know about this book. Um, it's uh, puzzling, challenging, comforting, um, correcting, and it's definitely in the wisdom literature, and it's a helpful perspective. So in the wisdom literature, the Psalms teach us how we should worship. Uh, the Proverbs tell us how we should live according to wisdom. Ecclesiastes tells us how we should reflect on the complexities and difficulties of life. Song of Solomon teaches us how we should love well romantically within marriage, but also uh, love God as his bride. And then Job tells us how we should suffer or respond to suffering or think about suffering, the suffering particularly of, of the just, of the people of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we turn to this book today. Father, thank you for your word in all of its variety and complexity, in all of its reality. It confronts us, it comforts us, it challenges us, and by the work of your Holy Spirit within us, it changes us. We ask that you would work today as we dive in to Job chapter 1. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read our scripture text, then we'll talk more about this wonderful book. Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all of the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. 
Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them, and struck the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That is Job chapter 1. So, we don't really know that much about the book of Job. There are lots of theories and lots of speculations. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on background except to set up a couple of things. One is, this seems to be very old. The land of Uz is in the east. It's probably close to where Ur of the Chaldeans was, although it may be a little bit beyond that. But there definitely is a Chaldean context because the Chaldeans come in raiding bands uh, to get the camels. And so <clears throat> remember that Abraham... Abram, was from Ur of the Chaldeans. This may have been a story that Abram may have picked up from his family and may have passed down to generations. That's a possibility. It may also be that while Moses was in the land of Midian during those 40 years, that he got this story from some people through the Midianites, from some people of the East. These do not appear to be Jewish people. Israelites. We have no genealogy for any of them, and they don't have characteristically Hebrew names. Also, in the dialogue between Job and his friends, if we limit that middle part of the text, the dialogue between Job and his friends, none of them refers to God as the Lord Yahweh. Now, in the, in the opening and in the closing, so chapters 1 and 2, and then when the Lord speaks out of the whirlwind, chapters 38 to the end, there is reference to the Lord, Yahweh. But in that middle part, the dialogues between Job and his friends, none of them calls God Yahweh. So it seems like this is a group of God-fearers, people who worship the Most High God, who believe in one true God, 
but who are not part of God's covenant people, which is an interesting thing. It would put them in that small category of Gentiles or people from the nations who know God and who are God-fearers. And it's so interesting that Job has singled out as one who is among his generation, blameless and upright, and he fears God and he turns away from evil, even though he doesn't appear to be part of the descendants of Abraham or the line of the covenant promise or anything like that, seemingly, at least by the absence of any genealogy for him or any tribal association or any of the other sort of Israelite markers that we would see in a text. So we believe this is an old um, story and a book that comes from the very early days of God's people. Job was, we know, blameless and upright. He feared God. He turned away from evil. He was protected and blessed by God. Satan says there's a hedge around him. That means a hedge of protection. He's been protected by God, and he's been greatly blessed by God. Protected from what? Protected from all the kinds of things that he's no longer protected by and that strike him in this chapter, natural disaster and human wickedness. He's been guarded by God. His piety and his righteousness are very significant, very significant. He is very conscientious and very devout. His children, who are grown at this point and have their own homes, they used to take turns holding a feast day, each in the house of their own house on a day, and so they would they would gather together to feast. And whenever they were done with that, Job would send and consecrate them. He'd rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all, saying, it may be, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And we're told thus Job did continually. So he was greatly blessed by God and he was devoutly pious toward God, blameless and upright, without any obvious blame of his conduct and upright in his character and his faith. And then we're given this peek into the heavenly councils, into the throne room of God. There's a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Seems to be that the angelic powers, the, the hosts of heaven, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are coming together. And among them is Satan, who is a fallen angel, who is sinful, but who nonetheless, at this point in redemptive history, still has access to God's throne room to be able to make accusation against God's people. This is why he's called Satan or the Satan, because he's the adversary. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one who accuses and attacks God's people. Now, I believe that since Jesus died and rose again, and Jesus sits at God's right hand making intercession for God's people, Satan has been cast down to the earth. He no longer has access to God's throne room. And so this kind of dialogue between God and Satan doesn't happen anymore um, because of the redemption of Christ. Jesus said, he said he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I believe Revelation makes reference to this great war in heaven uh, that took place at the time of Christ's redemption of us, and that Satan and all of his hosts were were cast down to the earth, and they roam about on the earth seeking whom they may devour, but they no longer have access to God in the same way they did before Christ redeemed us. That's just some background for this. But Satan accuses. Satan's authority, Satan's power, is limited by God's sovereignty. That is still true. 
Satan, even though he no longer has access to God and is just roaming around the earth, it's still true that he cannot go where God bars him from going and he cannot do what God forbids him from doing. And so here, God is actually the first one to speak up and to boast about Job. Here is a righteous one. So to the accuser of the brethren, to the adversary, God says, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan basically says, Well, yeah, because you protect him and you bless him. Of course he's going to fear you and he's going to uh, turn away from evil because you are treating him with such special treatment. But if you were to stretch out your hand and you were to curse everything that he has and destroy it, he would curse you to your face. And the Lord says, okay, go ahead, have at it. Just don't touch him, right? Stretch out your hand against him, against all of his stuff. Take anything he has, but don't touch him. So Satan goes out and a combination of natural disaster and um, a, a couple of raiding bands, bands of Sabaeans and Chaldeans, right? They, they come up against everything that Job has. Sabaeans from the south, fire from heaven, Chaldeans from the north, and the strong east wind, the hot wind of the east blows in. So this is, this is important for us because we talk about how can a good God, you know, have a world full of evil or if God is so good, why does evil exist? There's two kinds of evil that people generally have in mind. There's man-made evil or human-caused wickedness, such as oppressive governments and wars and violent crime and things like that. And then there's natural disasters, fires, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes. There's no distinction here. Both are controlled by God, under God's sovereignty, but then here Satan is stirring them up. So Satan operates under the sovereign oversight of God, and God allows. God isn't directly doing these things, but God is sovereignly allowing these things, and he's allowing them because he has a greater good purpose that will gradually, but not easily or simplistically, it will gradually unfold as we go through this book. Um, <clears throat> God cares about his people. God loves his people. Many people struggle here because it's like, well, why would God sort of put Job out there and almost, almost tempt Satan to want to attack him? Because God's the first one who spoke up about it. We have to understand what is happening here. And that is even Job right? As blameless and upright as he is, even Job, as much as he fears God and turns away from evil, he himself still needs a savior. He needs a mediator. Satan still needs to be dealt with. So much of the Old Testament is really serving one main overarching purpose, and that is to show us our need for Christ. And so here we might be in this first chapter and say, well, who's going to speak up for Job other than God? God boasts about Job. Satan attacks and accuses Job's character. Who's the one who's going to defend Job? Who's the one who's going to advocate for Job? Such a person is absent from this scene. A counterpart to Satan, in other words, before the throne of God. There's a prosecutor. Where's the defense? Missing. That's what Jesus is going to come and do. Jesus is going to come and remove 
all accusation against us. So a lot of what we're seeing is the need. But even within that, there is still purpose that God has. And here, he's trying to show that his grace, his saving and preserving grace, is able to uphold the faith of his own, even through horrible, horrible disasters. Because God's people today still face terrible disasters. None of us have been through anything like Job, and there's very, very few people who have ever said any, had anything happen to them that's nearly as bad as what Job is going to go through. But still, here's Job at the end of all of this first wave of disaster. All of his wealth is gone. All of his children are gone. He gets up. He tears his robe, which is a sign of grief, distress. He shaves his head, sign of desperation. He falls on the ground and he worships. And he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Remember, Satan said he will curse you to your face. But he does the exact opposite. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is evidence that God is able to keep his own through trial and adversity and is able to preserve what is most important, which is our faith in God, our persevering, overcoming, more than conqueror faith in God is preserved by the grace of God, even under severe attack from the enemy. Now, there's much, much more to come. The lessons in Job are not simplistic. They are complex. They are nuanced. They are difficult. And so we need wisdom as we continue to make our way through this book. But so far, what we see is that one of God's purposes here is to demonstrate how Satan's hardest and worst attacks cannot separate the child of God from his faith in God and the love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this book. Thank you for this first chapter. Thank you that your preserving grace is powerful, more powerful than Satan's attacks. Satan persecutes your people, but you preserve your people powerfully against all persecution from the enemy. Thank you for that truth. We ask that you would continue to teach us in days to come and grow us to be more faithful and more trusting in you through all the difficult times that you call us to go through for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that is Job chapter one. Tomorrow we are going to move on to Job two. Hope you can join me for that. As always, I do hope you have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.